Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Cowden coming to you from Colorado Springs, Colorado. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, a pastor who is also the brother of the Reverend Al Sharpton is in legal trouble again. And we look at Operation Underground Railroad, the organization on which the new movie Sound of Freedom is based. We also begin a series on ministries that are working with kids who have aged out of the foster care system. We begin today with news of yet another Christian college shutting its doors. Alliance University is a Christian college in Lower Manhattan that primarily served minority students. It announced that it will close this year after losing its accreditation. The school, which was known for most of its history as Nyack College, received a notice from the Middle States Commission on Higher Education on June 26 that its accreditation will be officially revoked beginning December 31st. This means that since the end of the 2023 spring semester, New York City's only two Protestant Christian colleges have simultaneously faced the removal of their accreditation. While Alliance has officially announced closure, that other college, the King's College, which was also located in Manhattan's financial district, is in the appeal process to keep their accreditation. The King's board has said that it's seeking other universities to either acquire or partner with King's. Both King's and Alliance had operated on budget deficits for most of the last decade. Higher Ed Dive reported that Alliance surpassed $90 million in debt during the 2020 fiscal year. Alliance is the latest of 19 Christian colleges to have closed their doors or merged with other schools since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. The coronavirus exacerbated many rising demographic and cultural trends that were already contributing to the decline of Christian higher ed. The 19 Christian colleges that have closed also form a part of a larger group of about 30 small colleges and universities that have shut down since March of 2020. Our next story concerns a phenomenon known as rage giving. Warren, what is that and why is it important? Well, rage giving is giving by pro-abortion donors who were enraged by the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. Rage giving fueled huge growth for organizations like Planned Parenthood last year. But recently, the Chronicle of Philanthropy published an article saying that rage giving to abortion advocacy groups has since dropped off. And what about giving to pro-life groups? Well, Ministry Watch spoke to several pro-life ministries to see how giving has been for them during the past year. And all the ones that Kim Roberts, our reporter, talked to said that donors had remained generous uh, in the cause of protecting the unborn. Preborn, for example, had a banner year of giving in 2022. Giving was up 33%. Based on giving so far this year, it expects to receive about $40 million in contributions. That's up from $27 million last year. 
CareNet, which was established in 1975, not long after the Roe decision, saw an uptick in giving after the Supreme Court returned its issue to the states in its Dobbs decision last year. And since then, giving to the Pregnancy Center Network has remained steady. That's right. In fact, CareNet President Roland Warren said, if you are giving out of rage rather than out of love, it's not sustainable. We offer compassion, hope, and help, and that's compelling. It is more of a transformational request, he said. He said CareNet is seeing an increase in the number of lower dollar donors, along with re-engaged donors who had lapsed in their giving. And by the way, Roland Warren said that pregnancy centers in the CareNet network have had more of a struggle with volunteers than with funding. And that's primarily because of COVID, not Dobbs. Many of the volunteers at pregnancy resource centers are older and a lot have been reluctant to be around people uh, more now than before the pandemic. In the Ministry Watch database, by the way, both preborn and CareNet have high donor confidence scores of 196, respectively. They both have A transparency grades. Preborn has a five star financial efficiency rating, and CareNet has four stars. In other words, both of them are among our top rated ministries. Let's look at one more story before the break. Last Thursday, a judge sentenced an Alabama pastor and activist, Kenneth Sharpton Glasgow, to 30 months in federal prison. On July 6th, a Montgomery County court sentenced Glasgow, a pastor, and as I mentioned earlier, the half-brother of the Reverend Al Sharpton, for drug trafficking, income tax evasion, and lying to obtain Social Security disability benefits. Glasgow had pleaded guilty to those charges in February. Glasgow is nationally known in his own right for his advocacy of felon voting rights. In the early 2000s, he founded the Ordinary People's Society, or TOPS, and later founded the Prodigal Children's Project, or PCP, to support those affected by drug addiction, mass incarceration, homelessness, poverty, and unemployment. Glasgow allegedly withdrew over $1.3 million in cash from TOPS and PCP between 2016 and 2019, never accounting for that money on the nonprofit's IRS forms or on his own tax returns. Court documents also say that Glasgow provided false information to the Social Security Administration to obtain disability benefits and related health benefits under Medicare and Medicaid programs. Glasgow has had legal issues before as well. Yeah, he has. In fact, in 2018, police charged Glasgow with capital murder for aiding his friend in the murder of a Dothan woman who stole his friend's car. However, a Houston County grand jury found insufficient evidence to indict him and later dropped the charges. In 2021, Glasgow pleaded not guilty for to conspiring to distribute cocaine. Before becoming an advocate for felons' rights, Glasgow spent 14 years in a Florida prison on robbery and drug charges. Warren, we need to take a break. When we return, we take a look at a ministry that is helping children who've aged out of the foster care system. 
I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host Warren Smith. We'll have that story and much more after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Well, next up, the story we promised before the break is the story of a church in Texas that gave birth to a ministry to help kids who've aged out of the foster care system. In 2012, Myron Wilson was serving as a worship pastor at First Baptist Church in McKinney, Texas. An 18-year-old girl living in a van had run out of gas and walked into the front door of the church. That's when Wilson first learned that young people age out of the foster care system and often end up living on the streets. A couple of years later, Wilson met a woman involved in foster care who said that 38% of the homeless population in Texas are youth who have aged out of foster care. He wanted to do something, and he knew Christians in the affluent area of northern Texas, where he lived, had resources to help. So that's why he created Direction 61-3 in 2016, its first home for aged out youth was donated to the ministry. In 2017, Wilson became the organization's executive director, and in 2018, the ministry opened its doors to girls who needed help. Now, if Direction 61.3 sounds a little unusual for a ministry name, it comes from Isaiah 61.3, which says this, provide for those who grieve to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Wilson described a young woman who had a 3.6 grade point average at her high school and had been accepted into a nursing program, but was about to be taken to a homeless shelter on her 18th birthday because she had nowhere to go. Direction 61.3 took her in a year ago, and she's doing great, and she's in nursing school, bought a car, and recently gave her life to Christ. 
Wilson says that many families are not able or equipped to take a troubled teen into their home. Instead, he suggests Direction 61.3 can, in his words, do the messy work, and the Christian community can support it financially and with volunteers. Direction 61.3 is also, I should add, gaining momentum with the addition of five more homes for young men and women ages 14 to 24 and the purchase of five acres where Direction 613 hopes to build homes for up to 50 young people. Its budget has also doubled in the last year from about half a million dollars to a little over a million dollars. It's also become a licensed foster care agency with the state of Texas. Wilson said that the first priority of Direction 613 is evangelism, pointing young people to Christ. But it also adopts a holistic approach that includes education, career preparation, life skills, and relationship building. I should say that we've got a lot more to say about this ministry uh, in an article that uh, Kim Roberts wrote at the Ministry Watch website. And I should add that this article is the first in a series of stories that we're doing about ministries uh, that uh, work with people who age out of the foster care system. So if you know of a ministry that's operating in this space that you'd like for us to take a look at, please send us an email at info at ministrywatch.com. For the past decade, a handful of megachurches have dominated worship music, churning out hits such as Goodness of God, What a Beautiful Name, King of Kings, and Graves into Gardens. And though churches like Australia-based Hillsong and Bethel Church in California have met with scandal and controversy, worship leaders still keep singing their songs. A new study released Tuesday, July 11th, found that few worship leaders avoid songs from Hillsong and Bethel, two of the so-called big four megachurches that dominate modern worship music. The study found that most worship leaders connect with songs because they've experienced them firsthand at a conference or by listening to them online, or perhaps because a friend or church member recommended them, rather than seeing the song at the top of the charts or on a list of new songs. Elias Dummer, a Christian musician turned marketer who is part of the research team behind the study, said most worship leaders think they have good reasons for picking the songs they use in worship. But they may not be aware of how social forces, like the popularity of certain churches, are affecting their choices. Dummer said it this way, while people say they care about the songs, they pick the same four churches over and over again. Only 16% of worship leaders said they were less likely to choose a song with ties to Hillsong, while about one in four said they were less likely to choose songs with ties to Bethel, which was about 27%. More than half of worship leaders said that they were likely to choose songs with ties to Hillsong, that's 62%, while nearly half, or 48%, said that they were likely to choose songs with 
ties to Bethel. Researchers also found that recommendations from friends on social media and congregation members, as well as other church leaders, made it more likely that worship leaders would choose a given song. Hearing a song at a live event or streaming online also made it more likely that they would choose a song. About 40% said that there is a bit too much new music these days, while a very small number, only 4%, said that they were completely overwhelmed by the amount of new music. About a quarter said that they would like to hear more music. Well, that's not the only story about music that we featured this week. No, that's right. Will Bishop, who's an associate professor of music and worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, has been working on a survey project uh, to better understand the worship music used in local churches, especially in smaller congregations in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the nation's largest Protestant denomination. Among the findings, only one in five churches sang more hymns than modern songs. About a third sang an equal number of hymns and modern songs. Four in ten sang more modern songs than hymns. Uh, The survey also found that worship leaders mostly pick their own music, often with no input from the church's pastor. About two-thirds of the churches that he surveyed, 65%, said that they never use hymnals. Bishop also asked churches to list their favorite hymns, then compiled a list of the most popular contemporary songs. The number one song was Living Hope, which was co-written by Phil Wickham, who is a well-known worship artist, followed by the modern hymn In Christ Alone by Keith Getty and Stuart Townend. And then three older hymns also on the list. It is Well With My Soul, Amazing Grace, and How Great Thou Art. Bishop also looked at how much music has changed in the church in the 20th century. Yeah, and he was able to do that by looking at a very similar survey that was done in 1938. Uh, That survey found that most churches, about 83%, used a piano for services, and about 18% had reed organs, better known as pump organs, a relatively few, only about 5%, had pipe organs. One in 20 churches in 1938 had no instruments at all. The 1938 survey also included a list of favorite songs among the churches. The most popular song in 1938 was What a Friend We Have in Jesus, followed by I Am Thine, O Lord, Standing on the Promises, Have Thine Own Way, and The Old Rugged Cross. Now, What a Friend We Have in Jesus didn't make the list of most popular songs in Bishop's new survey, the one he just just completed, but several songs that appeared in that 1938 list remain popular today, including, as it said, Amazing Grace, The Old Rugged Cross, and Holy, Holy, Holy. Bishop's survey also found some surprising and you might even say weird results. Yeah, it did. Uh, He'd heard that some churches will play secular songs in services and decided to ask if that was the case in his survey. And some of the responses seemed to confirm that. Uh, For example, one church said that they played Carole King's uh, pop song, You've Got a Friend, Bill Withers' song, Lean on Me. Others like The Lion Sleeps Tonight and Take Me Home Country Roads also showed up in the survey. 
Warren, we're going to take another break when we return our lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Cowden with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. What's up first? The Global Leadership Network, which a lot of our listeners may know as the Willow Creek Association, they changed their name a few years ago, has named David Ashcraft as its new president and CEO. Ashcraft served for 32 years as the senior pastor of Life changed by Christ Church, a church in Pennsylvania, and he replaces Tom DeVries, who left the role at the Global Leadership Network back in April to lead the CityGate Network. CityGate is a uh, association of uh, gospel rescue missions. Robert Yee had been serving as interim president, but will return to his role as the chief operating officer. By the way, I should mention that in the Ministry Watch database, the Global Leadership Network receives a donor confidence score of 69, which is um, right on the low end of our Give With Confidence category, a C transparency grade, and a one-star financial efficiency rating. Even though it's nearly the middle of the month, it's been a couple of weeks since we aired a podcast episode, so we've got a little bit of catching up to do with some of our regular features. That's right, and one of them is my weekly editor's notebook column, which is about this week, the organization Operation Underground Railroad. Now, OUR is the subject of a new movie called Sound of Freedom, which has become a minor hit at the box office. And while the movie is getting good reviews, we have not been giving good reviews to Operation Underground Railroad here at Ministry Watch for the last couple of years. This organization is, in fact, not a Christian ministry at all. It's led by Tim Ballard, who's a member of the uh, Mormon Church, the Church of Latter-day Saints, and his organization has been under scrutiny by media outlets for questionable fundraising and other claims. Now, I should add, Natasha, that sex trafficking is, of course, a terrible problem, and this movie is shining a light on it. But we here at Ministry Watch recommend that if you want to do something about sex trafficking, you should get involved in a local sex trafficking ministry. There are dozens of them scattered around the country. Or you should give to one of the Christian groups fighting sex trafficking, which we have featured on the Ministry Watch website and not Operation Underground Railroad. 
We also have a new monthly list up on the Ministry Watch website, and it is a list of ministries whose donor confidence scores are so, so low that we recommend withholding giving. Last year, Ministry Watch introduced its donor confidence score. The score is based on the answers to 20 questions that give donors an understanding of the efficiency, the effectiveness, and the transparency of an organization. We ask statements, for example, about governance, as well as the organization's commitment to a biblical statement of faith. Organizations that score 65 or above receive a give with confidence score. If they receive a score of 40 to 65, Four, they receive a give with caution designation, and those with a score of less than 40 get a withhold giving designation. This year, we had about 30 ministries on the withhold giving list. So when you consider that we've got a thousand ministries in our database, that's a relatively small number. Topping that list, though, includes uh, Benny Hinn Ministries, Creflo Dollar Ministries, John Hagee Ministries, Rodney Howard Brown's Revival Ministries International, Joel Osteen's Lakewood Church, and Mike Murdoch's Wisdom Center. We've also got the Trinity Broadcasting Network and the Inspirational Network on that list, among others. You can find the complete list by going, again, to the Ministry Watch website. And who did Christina Darnell feature in Ministries Making a Difference? Well, she had a fairly robust column this week, but I want to just highlight a couple of them. Uh, one is called Hope Kids. They celebrated their 10-year anniversary this spring. The, uh, they launched uh, in 2013 with just a handful of families, but they now serve more than 1,000 families with over 500 events each year. Hope Kids um, has now six chapters nationwide, and they provide events, activities, and community to families that face a life-threatening medical condition. Hope Kids, by the way, has a four stars out of five financial efficiency rating, an A transparency grade, and a donor confidence score of 96, which is, again, one of our top ratings. We also want to report that uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship's pilot, Ryan Coer, was released back in March, and we're just getting word of that, though, this month. Instead of returning home, though, to the United States, Ryan Coer, who had been detained in Mozambique, uh, is working in Mozambique. He's going to stay there along with his wife, and they're going to continue providing missionary flights to the area. Warren, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Well, first of all, Natasha, I want to say welcome back to you from your honeymoon. In fact, uh, your new last name, no longer Natasha Smith, is something that I'm going to have to get used to, but I'm sure I'll be able to get used to it very quickly. So once again, welcome. Uh, Christina Darnell did a great job filling in for you while you were gone, but it's great to have you back behind the microphone. And I know Christina is relieved to be able to get back to her normal duties as managing editor. I also want to thank everyone who came out to events I did in Colorado Springs, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Los Angeles, California last month, in part to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Ministry Watch. I plan to be in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Athens, Georgia in the month ahead. So if you live in those cities, please keep an eye on your inbox for invitations to lunches that I'll be doing there. Well, thanks, Warren. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen DeBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Seven. 
Writers who contributed to today's program include Rafa Oliveira, Kim Roberts, Bob Smetania, Jessica Edralde, Christina Darnell, and Rod Pitzer. Special thanks to Religion Unplugged for contributing materials for this week's podcast. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.